We have a God who supplies real needs, doesn't he? Some of you are examples of that, that God supplies for our needs. Today we're going to look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And usually we put the words up here, but I just feel like you're getting a little lazy with that. So I'm not going to put them up there. You're going to have to look at it in your own Bible. There is a Bible right under your seat or in front of you, and it's page 1008 is where we're going to be reading from. Or you can use your phone. Hopefully you have a, a Bible app. I like to use the YouVersion Bible app, and it can even prompt you to, for daily Bible readings and things like that. We're reading from Mark chapter 6. Mark 6, and we're going to begin in verse 30. And this is it. Boy, this is a spectacular story, everyone. I feel like part of the danger of it is that we've all heard the story so many times that we might miss the true impact of it. So as we read through it, I'll read it out loud and you can follow along. I just want to ask you to focus on a few things, okay? Number one, did you know that this story is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels? It's the only one. It must be important, and we know it is. Did you know also that when the gospel writers picked out the stories to tell, they're telling us true stories. These aren't myths. They're not made up or embellished. These are factual stories, eyewitness accounts. But I have to say something else about it. The gospel writers include them because oftentimes they're trying to show us something about Jesus and about ourselves. So many times there's a deeper meaning embedded in the story, and I think that's really true of this story. I want to also just highlight a few things. Have you, as we read through, keep your eyes open for this, okay? You're going to see in this story a lot of hungry people, right? We know the story, feeding of the 5,000. And I don't know if you're feeling a little hungry right now. Maybe by the time I finish at about 1230 or so, you'll start feeling a little hungry. I'm not sure. Hopefully I'll finish before that. But... When you're hungry, it's almost like you can't concentrate on other things. Have you ever noticed that? Hunger is a gift from God to tell us that there's a need that needs to be satiated. Something needs to happen. And it's not only talking about hungry people. It's talking about people who are running after something. They're running. Now, what are you running after today? Is there something that you're running after? Something that's so important to you that you're thinking about it, you're going after it. Now, I don't know if you ever feel like, I think the first picture showed a hamster on the wheel because I don't know if you felt like that before that sometimes you're running, running, running from one thing to another, so busy in life, but you feel like you never arrive. So that's why I put the second, I think that's more accurate, this one. Does anybody ever feel this way? That we're getting so busy running from one thing to another, we don't have time to really take value or stock of what's most important. And this story is gonna to begin to talk about that. The other thing it talks about is being satisfied. And I don't know if you've heard, but Snickers satisfies. So I don't know if anyone brought a Snickers bar with you today. In a certain way, right? And in a certain way, food satisfies us. But there's a satisfaction that only comes through knowing God through Christ that nothing else can satisfy. And this is what Mark in particular is pointing us to is something so important in our daily lives. Are we running so fast that we're leaving God out unintentionally instead of looking to him as the satisfaction that we need? I want you to notice some of Jesus' reactions to the situations in the story. And also, as you look at what Jesus is doing, 
don't just focus on what he does, but how he does it. Okay, with all that in mind, would you, I'll read it out loud, but would you follow along? Hopefully you have a Bible right there. I want you to look at it for yourself. This is Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And the apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. Now, by this time it was late in the day, and so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And when they ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketsfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, the number of men who had eaten was about 5,000. What we're going to see here, everyone, really are three things. The first one we're going to see is Jesus' compassion for his disciples and for the people. And then Jesus is going to highlight for us the utter need that his disciples have, their utter inability to do anything to help. And then finally, Jesus is going to show us that the only one who can satisfy our souls truly is him. And he wants to use us to bring this good news of this soul-satisfying salvation to other people. Now, you might say, that's all embedded in that story. It really is. When we read through the story, we begin to see Jesus' compassion. Did you notice it right at the beginning? So the apostles gathered around Jesus in verse 30 and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So you have to remember what came before this was that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two and they are having a tremendous impact. It says back in verse 12, they went out and they preached that people should repent and they drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Boy, this was an exciting time. They're now coming back from that experience and these guys are sharing the stories of what they've just seen and experienced. 
Have you had a time in your life that was like that? When you were part of a ministry or part of an event that, where the Lord was working so powerfully and you got back together afterward and started to share some of the stories? I know for our youth leaders, we do this. We, we have a chance to, to talk about what God's doing. And I want to say that's one of my favorite times because we get to hear the stories of God's power. And it's something that all of us should experience. And the disciples are very excited about this. And then because so many people were coming and going, these guys are becoming sort of like celebrities. They've experienced the the power that God has invested in them, the authority that they have. And they were so busy, they didn't even even have a chance to eat. And so he says to his disciples, right? Did you read it carefully? Guys, there's so many more people to reach. Forget about eating. Forget about the fact that you're tired. Turn around and get back out there. Is that what he said? Like, I must have a different translation than you have. No, that's not what he said. He said, listen, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. See, Jesus is more interested in the building up and equipping of his disciples than he is in the popularity of the crowd. Jesus is very much aware that we are physical beings, that the physical part of us is connected with the spiritual part. And sometimes we see something as a spiritual problem, but it's because we've become overtired. We've taken on too much. We've been running on the hamster wheel so hard and so long, we've long since forgotten about our connection with God and spending time with him. Jesus knows what's most important. And so he's calling them away, just as he's calling you away. It doesn't necessarily have to be a special place like a retreat center. It doesn't have to be down by the river. It could be right in your car when you close the door on your way to work and make that a sacred sanctuary with you and the Lord to reconnect with him. Rather than turning the radio on right away, keep the radio off. And have a conversation with the one who can satisfy your soul, the only one who can. He's calling them away, isn't he? Because he cares for them. And it says, so they went away by themselves. And he not only has compassion for his disciples, but we can see his compassion for the people. They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now they're going to be able to get something to eat, get away and get alone. So they get into the boat. But here's the problem. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. I don't know if you've read that before, but it's, it's almost hilarious, isn't it? So these guys are getting into the boat. We're like, we're going to escape out of here. No one's going to know where we're going. Guys, let's get in. And they head across the lake. Now, apparently on the Sea of Galilee in this location, you can pretty much see the whole lake. So these guys are so interested in seeing Jesus and the disciples, they try to project, okay, they headed that way. I know where they're going. What was about a four-mile path across the lake would take about six miles to run along the coast of the lake. And so that's what these guys did. They start running. Can you picture it? They're literally running, okay? And they're coming to a village And they're saying, hey, we're going to see Jesus. Or maybe the people in the village are saying, where in the world are you crazy people running to? We're going to see Jesus and the disciples. 
you guys got to come. And so this crowd of people, each town along the path, the crowd's getting bigger and bigger. Can you picture it? And these people are running. They're excited. They're running after something, aren't they? What are they running after? What are they seeking to find? Maybe the same thing that we are. They could see something in Jesus and the disciples that they know they needed. They wanted to be connected with it. Now, maybe they were just going after to see some of the miracles, demons being cast out, people healed, but something supernatural was happening. They wanted to be part of it. So if you leave church today and you see a group of people running down Green Lane, are you going to join in too? Are you going to run after them? Probably not. Well, this is what's happening. It's unusual, right? And so here's what happens. These guys, the disciples, are hoping to get to a deserted place, just them, nice and alone. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he said to them, will you people please just go home? Why won't you leave us alone? Every day you people are pestering us. Is that what he says? No. No, he doesn't say that at all, does he? Because Jesus isn't like us. That's probably what I might think of doing, right? Because I'm selfish. But we see the beautiful character of our Savior. His compassion takes over. Is he hungry? It does, still doesn't say that they ate anything. Is he tired? Is he a little irritable? Yeah, Jesus has a physical human body just like we do. He feels it the same way. And yet, he had compassion on them. This is a word used in the Bible only of Jesus. His compassion coming from the depths of his soul. He cares about them. And he cares about you. He cares about where you're running to. Why are you so busy? And what are you trying to grab for? And what, what is it that's motivating you? He cares. He knows that you're tired that you have needs. He knows that our church has needs, doesn't he? And over and over again, he's been supplying for what we need. Do we recognize him? Do we invite him into our life? He says, Jesus himself says, that he has compassion on them because they're like a sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to teach them. Now, there's many Old Testament passages that talk about how we also are like sheep without a shepherd. He's referring to these people, mainly Israelites, and it harkens us back to Ezekiel, the prophet, over 500 years before Jesus is ever born, and he talks about the shepherds of Israel. He says in Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel prophesy and say to them this is what the sovereign lord says woe to you shepherds of israel who only take care of yourselves should not the shepherds take care of the flock you eat the curds you clothe yourselves with the wool and you slaughter the choice animals but you don't take care of them you haven't strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured you haven't brought back the strays or searched for the lost. And he goes on for an entire chapter talking about how the shepherds of Israel have not taken care of the sheep. 
But Jesus knows as the great shepherd that he will care for them. He loves them and has compassion on them. And the things that we're learning here in Mark 6, Mark also intended for us. We also are like lost sheep that the Lord loves and is inviting us back into a relationship with him. So by now, verse 35, it's getting late, everyone. Late in the day, the sun's starting to go down. It's getting a little bit cooler out. Can you feel it? And the disciples know that there's a big problem because mainly, Jesus, remember we were hungry before? Still doesn't say they ate anything. Maybe they did. This is a remote place, they said. There's no Taco Bell. And it must be a Sunday because the Chick-fil-A is closed. It's already very late. Send the people away, Jesus, so they can go. I don't see any eating places, but maybe they can go somewhere and find something in the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Now, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but sometimes I read through the lines in Scripture, and I kind of know how selfish I am and how self the, the disciples show themselves to be. I'm really wondering if they're asking, like, Jesus, where are we going to get something to eat? We're hungry, okay? But he answers, you guys give them something to eat. Now, what Jesus is doing on purpose is showing them a lesson that I'm sure they remembered for the rest of their lives. You give them something to eat. They start looking at each other. What are we going to give them? We don't have anything to give them. Do you think Jesus was only talking about food? I don't think so. They're running after something. Their souls are longing for a connection with their creator that Jesus is going to make possible. They feel the need. They're hungry for it. Are the disciples going to be able to meet that need? No. Without Christ, we can do nothing. And Jesus is highlighting this for them, and I think it's a lesson they never forgot, that if we want to feed the hungry souls of people, it's by pointing them to Jesus and Jesus alone. He alone is the one that can meet the deepest needs on their hearts. Well, you can see they said to him, it would take more than a half year's wages, Jesus. And it sounds like they might even have that much in their purse bag. Should we really spend the whole thing on giving them bread? Okay, what do you have? What do you have? Go and see. It's interesting if you read this, I don't know if anyone here has a red letter edition of the Bible, and you just look at where Jesus speaks in this entire story. He only says a couple of things. He only says, you give them something to eat. And he only says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. That's all he says in the whole story. But very significant words, aren't they? Showing them and us our utter need. They went and found five loaves and two fish. These were probably real small, like you might even say kind of like cracker size. And the fish probably were like little like sardines, real small, maybe like pickled fish. That was, we know from John, John tells us that it was because a little boy brought those and somehow the disciples talked him into giving them the loaves and the fish. I think he willingly gave them up. But what is that with so many people? What is it? And then we see the miracle. Don't you love it, everyone? Don't you just love it? 
we see here that Jesus, he saw the crowds, didn't he? And he had compassion on them. He knew himself, he has the power to satisfy their hungry physical stomachs. But more than that, he has the power and the answer to what they're really running after, what they're longing for. And so also, Jesus has eyes to see the peoples of the world today. As the Ambrosius were sharing with us, there are still many unreached people groups in the world that we live in today, and Jesus sees them all. He cares about them. He wants them to know the shepherd who can bring peace to their souls. People estimate nearly 20,000 people groups all over the world. These are ethnic groups spoken about in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all ethnic groups. 20,000, but nearly 7,400 of those still have no access to the gospel. They still don't have anyone in their people group that they could go to to talk about Jesus. We can go to them if we have eyes to see. Jesus cares about all the peoples of the world. What about you? Do you have eyes to see the needs? You know, when, the, when we're with crowds, what do you see when you see the crowds of people? Do you see people that are kind of a pain in your neck? Get out of my way. Like I'm stopped at the traffic light up here at Green Lane and Route 13. It's backed all the way up to the church here and I'm waiting for a chance to go and I'm getting irritated. Or do I realize <clears throat> these are people that the Lord loves. I know this is strange, okay? I, I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not weird, because I am. But sometimes if I'm stuck at a traffic light, I look at the people. Do you ever do that? I watch the people turning out of the left-hand turn lane onto Green Lane. I look at their faces. Who are they? I don't know any of them. But Jesus knows everyone. He knows every face in the crowd. And he loves them. He wants them to know the only one who can satisfy their souls. We're in a big crowd of people at a sporting event or a concert. Do you ever just stop and see the crowds of people? So beautiful in how God made them all. They're so unique with so many talents and abilities. And Jesus loves every one of them. The people that come here to the church as they take part in the different ministries that we have, do we see them, the people that God created? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And Jesus cares for every one of them. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our souls. And he wants to use us to bring the good news of the only thing that can help these people. He wants us to be the vehicle. Notice what happens then. In verse 39, Jesus directs them to have all the people sit down in the grass. Sit down in groups. So they sat down in groups of 50s and 100s. Hey, picture the scene, everyone. Have you ever seen anything like this in the Bible before? A huge crowd of people, and now they're in a tapestry of groups of 50s and 100s in the wilderness, in a desert place. Have we seen anything like that before? Hungry people 
who needs something to eat, but there doesn't seem to be any food around. Yeah, we, we think of the children of Israel, right, in the wilderness. And what does God do? I know some of you are tempted to say it out loud, but you're like, we don't say out loud in church, but right? You know, you know the answer, right? That God produces manna so that they have food to eat. The arrangement of the Israelites was very much like this. The tribes were arranged in packs and groups in the wilderness. They were orderly, orderly arranged, and God produces manna. So guys, wouldn't it have been spectacular? <clears throat> wouldn't it have been awesome if these groups were in their groups sitting on the grass, and all of a sudden Jesus says, everyone, I know you're hungry. Just look to the right and to the left, and you're gonna see these little wafers appear in the, in the grass. Just pick them up, it's not poison. It's something called manna. Go ahead and grab it and have all you want. But don't take any for tomorrow, just for today. Everyone, grab your manna, spread the word, take as much as you want. Wouldn't it have been fantastic, everyone? Yeah. Are we allowed to change the Bible? No, okay. Because why did Jesus not give them manna? They They did complain the first time. They complained the first time. In fact, in Psalm 78, it says they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food that they craved. They spoke against God and they said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? Yes, he can. But instead, he gives us this illustration to show all of us that he doesn't desire for the word of God and the gospel to just kind of come out of the clouds or up from the ground. He wants us to be part of it. He wants to use us. So taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he says the prayer. Does he say this traditional Jewish prayer? Baruch Ata Adonai, Elohino Melech Alaram, Hamad Silchem, Mene Halaretz. Is this what he said? Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then can you hear it? A 10,000 voice, amen, amen. He gives thanks. He takes the loaves and he breaks them. He takes the fish and breaks them. Now we don't know exactly where the miracle took place. We know there are baskets full. Did he keep breaking it and keep filling up baskets or did he put some in the baskets and as the disciples now are going and distributing it to each group of 50 and 100, they keep looking in their basket and there's more and more. It's not being used up. And so the disciples become part of the miracle. They're witnessing the power of God to generate the food that the people need. And let me tell you, they loved it. They loved it. Now, this doesn't say, remember in John 2 when Jesus turned the water to wine? What they said about the wine? They're like, this is the best wine we've ever tasted. Do you think this is happening here too? Do you think people are like, this is the best bread and fish I have ever had. Where did you get this from? Well, as we do know is, he directed them to go ahead and pass it out and they all ate, and what an unfortunate translation in the NIV, 
and were satisfied. This word doesn't just mean satisfied. It means they were filled to the gills. They were like, you know the word glutted? What word would you use? I asked around a little bit. Some people said overfilled, gorged. Would you say gorged? Glutted, stuffed, overindulged, fattened up. Some, one person, I can't believe I ate the whole thing, right? They're not just satisfied. These guys are sitting there and they're like, I can't eat another bite. And they meant it. They had so much. And it all came because of Jesus' miracle, starting with the five loaves and two little fish, but the disciples were part of it. And so this miracle takes place. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Mark saves that detail for the end of his story. And we know that it wasn't just the men. There were women and children there too. So there's a lot of people fed, all by the disciples. Now, do you remember what happens? They went back and collected the leftovers and there were 12 basketfuls left over. Was that the disciples' lunch? It still doesn't say they ate anything. I don't know. Maybe they're still hungry and they're like, when are we gonna eat, Jesus? Go pick up the leftovers. And he comes back and now they each have 12 baskets full. Jesus satisfies abundantly, doesn't he? He satisfies abundantly. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul. And I don't know what you're running after today, but we all know that this is a question that all of us can answer because we are prone to create alternatives to being with our Heavenly Father through Christ and finding other things that we hope will satisfy our souls, but they never will. They never will satisfy them. And so what we do is we try to create idols. Idols are trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, our significance and our security. What's your hope in? Is it in the lottery? Are you hoping that you'll hit the lottery and then every, all your troubles will go away? They won't. Is it a vacation that's coming up? Are you hoping things will get better? Well, let me tell you, those might be all wonderful things. But when we make wonderful things our ultimate thing, it will always disappoint us. Only God can give us the hope that we long for. Where does your happiness come from? Does it come from getting new things, starting a new job or a new relationship? Again, there's nothing wrong with good things. But when we put our hope in the happiness that comes from these things, it will always let us down. What about your significance? What makes you feel important? Is it a promotion, a raise, people complimenting you? Is it power? Is it fame? Is it a new haircut? I think you can see what I'm getting at is that we will tend each day to find alternatives to the one thing that can satisfy us, and it's not a thing, it's a person, isn't it? Through Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that he himself became human, God himself coming to earth, came in human form for the purpose of taking on all the wrong things that we have done so that he can pay for those completely by giving up his life and coming back to life again from the dead to reconnect us with our heavenly father. This is where life comes from. This is where our satisfaction is. And yet day by day, we fill up our lives with busy things and we forget about connecting again with our Heavenly Father. 
What an important thing for each of us to set aside time, a sacred time, and a sacred place to reconnect with the only one who can satisfy our souls. I'm not just talking about doing a Bible reading and checking it off your list. Meet with him. Listen to him. Feed on him. Receive him into your soul. Let him be your very life. And as he is, he will give you that deep satisfaction that you're hungering for. And we begin to run after different things. We begin to run like Jesus did. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When he talked to the woman at the well, his disciples came and they're like, are you hungry? Did you have something to eat? He said, I had food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so we will run. We run after different things when our souls are satisfied with God alone and we realize that he put us on earth for a reason, everyone. It's not for ourselves, but to share this message with others. He used his disciples to be part of the miracle so that they could see that we didn't do this. How did this happen? Jesus is doing the miracle, but he uses us to do it. And you will experience that too. You'll see people's lives changed and know it was just because you were willing to say, God, here's the little bit that I do have. I give it over to you. Now, we know it was John who said about the little boy with the fish. And the little boy gave up his lunch to feed maybe as many as 10,000 people. And so God asks us to give up the little bit that we have, to hand it over to him and say, God, I know it's not much, but would you take it and use it? Boy, this is the key to our soul satisfaction, isn't it? As we surrender our lives and we devote ourselves to the purposes of God, as we connect with him and walk with him each moment, he will fill us by the Holy Spirit and use us to, think, to do things we never thought possible before because they're not. They're not possible. And so we commit ourselves again in a fresh and new way to the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the way that you teach us the truth that we are prone to want to wander and find satisfaction in something other than you. But yet, time and again, we find that what we need most is to return to you, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice completely and give ourselves over to you in every way, to give to you the little bit that we have and ask you, Lord, somehow, that through us, that others might meet you, that their souls would be satisfied as well. And so, Lord, now, help us to see the crowds. Help us to see the sheep around us that have no shepherd, to have compassion as you do, to reach out to them, that they too might know what their souls are longing for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.